Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast, your podcast for end time events and religious liberty. And today we have a very special guest in our continued series on COVID-19. We have Dr. Eric Walsh. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Glad to be on. Dr. Walsh, can you tell us what you're doing lately? I'm, I'm the medical director for a, a system of um, urgent care clinics in the state of Connecticut. Really, um, in many ways, front lines um, dealing with COVID-19. Um, so um, this has been very near and dear to me, this this whole pandemic, especially since um, I've also worked, you know, uh, pretty intricately in public health as well. Now, there are some Seventh-day Adventists think that COVID-19 is fake. Uh, how do you respond to that? Uh, COVID-19 is not fake. It's real. Um it, um, you know, there are people who argue whether or not it was released from a lab or, or did it really jump from bats through um, uh, another animal form into humans. I think it's penguins or something. They, they, they say it jumped through. I forget the name of the animal. Um, but um, it is real. It is a deadly disease. Probably, in, I would argue, in the final, final analysis, the final case fatality rate for this disease will be, disease will be around somewhere between 0.2 and 0.8% compared to the flu, which is like 0.1%. So it's real. I mean, it's real, especially for those who are predisposed to getting it. As someone involved in public health and government, how would you respond to this pandemic if you had power to implement policy? If I had, I had the power to really do this the way it should have been done, and this is my humble opinion, the first and most important thing, honestly, would have been to have a rapid test, which um, there are reports coming out of the CDC tried to not, didn't want to use the World Health Organization test, and then they, they um, didn't manufacture the test according to their own policy, and that set us back. But ideally, what would have happened is that we would have had rapid tests in place. So you could test people getting off of planes. You could test people um, before they came into the office, you know, went back to work into the office. You could test students. You could test teachers so that you know who has it. You could quarantine those individuals and you could have kept this disease separated out. I would argue in hindsight, this is purely Monday morning quarterbacking, um, probably having everybody wear a mask early on rather than now when they're saying to do it might have made a whole lot more. There's a lot of stuff they're saying now. It's like I don't, I don't know how it makes any sense. This disease has been around for a while. We now know that from California, they're saying that they have pretty good evidence this disease was in California in December before the January 5th announcement by the uh, World Health Organization um, that this disease was um, spreading in China. So if it was in California in December, it, wherever it originated in the world, whether that's China or whether it's somewhere else, it probably was there a few months earlier, or at least a month or two earlier. So, um, you know, if we could have gone, if we could go back in time, cancel our large... Um, events and I, don't, I mean large events like mardi gras and, and and big big stadium events and stuff maybe would have slowed this thing down i don't know that that's possible because again you know we've we have a very free permeous border um and if this thing was in china or wherever i mean we keep blaming china but i don't know for 100 percent that you know you know it, we may find out later on that, that that china isn't really the sole source of how this got to us because there was some dna testing i looked at the, the cases in new york and found that um the virus the genetic patterns of the, the virus in new york actually came more from europe than from asia so i yeah those are the things i would do i would have tested everybody quarantined out of locked off the people most at risk of dying from this and in, in nursing homes and with certain uh, comorbid conditions that uh, medical conditions and i would have definitely uh, i'd have probably put masks on people and started limiting um how many people could, could could be in a space at once sweden has not had the strict 
um, approach we've had, and they are claiming that they're doing well without having a strict approach. So um, I would have tried to keep the economy going as well, though. So you would employ, uh, in other words, the South Korean model, a massive testing and quarantining. Absolutely. Now, there is a lot of issues dealing with public health concerns balanced with economic and civil liberty concerns. Can we find a middle ground here today between public health concerns and civil liberty and constitutional right concerns? I, I think you have to, because, again, I, I'm always afraid that if you start smashing people's constitutional rights, rights to assemble, religious freedoms, uh, freedom to speak, uh, all these types of things, you know, after the crisis is gone, how much precedence has been set for the next time to move the needle away from freedom? You know, so I think you do have to try. So, for example, a First Liberty Institute. Um, the, the the attorneys who defended me when I had religious liberty issues uh, posted um, that they've gone in and, and fought for two churches who are having drive-up services, um, like a drive-through movie, drive-up movie, so that they, the people, the, the parishioners were in their cars and the pastor was preaching on a, like either a screen from the front or from the front with them listening on their phone so they could see each other, but they really weren't next to each other and they, they were actually breathing different air in a sense, being in cars. And even that was trying to be shut down. And so I, I think it's very important that people f are able to meet as long as, you know, as long as there's some safety to it. So, you know, they start overstretching their boundaries. I think that's a little bit um, scary. The other thing I think we, you know, in this crisis that I have not seen, and maybe I'm wrong, but I've not seen it is what would be most frightening is if it wasn't just um, the um coming together of people or, or you know, or, or, or the grouping of people. But if they were also going after the content that that group was sharing when they came together, that would make me a lot more afraid than what's happening now. Right now, the, the strip club, the casino, the nightclub, the church, the cathedral, the synagogue are all shut. Um, you know, so when, when heaven and hell kind of agree on something in terms of like, you know, the, the religious world and the, and the kind of the, the world of, of entertainment and, and debauchery, if they, when they all agree that maybe it's best to not meet, then maybe something serious is going on. But but I, I caution, I do fear that when you start arresting pastors for violating some of these things and uh, South Korea is suing some churches and stuff, um, you know, I know you have to, as a government, it's tough because you really want everybody to comply because you want to limit the spread of the disease. But you also have to be careful. You set precedents. Um, and so you can't come down harder, which is, I think, what started to happen in some cases. You can't come down harder on, on religious institutions than you do on any other institution. So what do you think of the uh, church closures that the government has mandated? You know, I hate that churches have to close or that they were told to close. But at the same time, I do get it. I mean, there was a there's an African-American pastor, very um, large church recently. Uh, I won't tell his name or where it was. You guys, could, you can find that on the news probably. But I mean, in, in, in sermons where he had large pack gatherings at the church packed, he said, you know, I'm not afraid of this virus. You know, I'm, I'm you know, if, uh, in order for me to stop preaching, I'd have to be in jail or something. He, you know, he, he was pretty adamant about, you know, his, his right and, and, and so forth to preach. And according to the stories, um, according to what's being told to us, at least, uh, he died of the coronavirus. So, you know, there is a risk here. I mean, I, I know it's easy to be like, oh, this is all made up. But, you know, there, there, are, there are forces at work um, that can allow these things to happen. Um, and there are forces at work that if something like this really, when, when something like this happens by accident in nature, might respond slowly either by accident 
or on purpose. So these things are going to happen. You're going to have more diseases and even worse ones. This isn't the first coronavirus to go bad. The first one was SARS. The second one was MERS. And before that, there weren't very many coronaviruses that were very deadly to people. Um, you know, the common cold is a coronavirus. So something is changing. Part of it is the way we're interacting with animals. A lot of people argue there were a lot more of us playing with these viruses in labs. So, um, you know, something is happening. And I, and I do think it was real or is real. So how do you think COVID-19 fits into Bible prophecy? That's actually not as difficult a, a question to answer. If you look at Matthew 24, the greatest prophet in the scripture is Jesus Christ. And you look at Matthew chapter 24, um, leading up to verse 8, verse 8 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. The two verses before that, he describes wars, rumors as wars. Um, he basically says, be not troubled, all these things must come, but the end is not yet. And then he says, and there shall be, and then kingdom shall rise against kingdom, nation against nation. He says, and there shall be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. Um, so if this is prophesied. There's two ways that you see that this is prophesied in Scripture. Matthew 24, verse 7, and also in the book of Revelation in the section that deals with the seven last plagues. If there are seven last plagues, that means there are going to be some plagues before that. If Jesus says there are going to be famines and pestilences, there are going to be pestilences before the great time of trial and tribulation comes. Because after verse 8, he says, listen, then will they take you up to be, um, you know, basically persecuted. And, you know, and they'll take away your freedoms and your, and your own brethren will turn against you if you keep reading Matthew chapter 24. So before the time of great persecution comes, there will be pestilences. And I believe when you look at Ebola, when you look at um, West Nile virus, when you look at SARS, MERS, um, the Spanish flu of the last century, HIV of the last century that still exists today. Uh, when you look at all of these things, um, pestilence is real. And it is. In, here's where it's critical in Bible prophecy. Some people say, well, this is punishment. I say this is a warning. This is a warning that the Spirit of God is being removed from the earth, as we're told in the Spirit of Prophecy. And so it is a time for us to pay attention to the signs of the time and begin to make sure that we're ready for the second coming. Now, there's some people that claim that Psalms 91 would give them immunity from this virus. Uh, how do you respond to that? I think in a spiritual sense, they're right. I think Psalm 91 gives you a spiritual immunity. But the same way you can't claim Psalm 91 and eat McDonald's your whole life and expect not to have a heart attack, the same thing applies to the virus. There really are pestilence. And in Isaiah, there are, many, there are passages in Leviticus, there are passages that describe quarantining, quarantining away lepers, quarantining away um, uh, when, the, the, when other plagues come in the book of Isaiah. Um, so the Bible does also outline um, the quarantining and staying at home to avoid disease or putting, putting aside the people who might infect other people. So the idea that, well, you know, I, I claim the Psalm 91 so no infectious disease will ever get me, it's not biblical because the Bible actually prescribes quarantining for infectious diseases. What is your practical advice amid this pandemic for people to do to be proactive in protecting themselves from this virus? So for me, um, there's a few things you can do. One of them is, I think, I think as much as possible, practice social distancing. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, because you don't want to get a virus. But two, because there are a lot of other people who are having some serious mental health issues around this thing. And are really panicked, and you know, you keeping your space might actually help somebody else become stay healthy. Um, but there's a lot you can do after that, and, and that really re connects the third angel's message uh, to our health message, and that is having the type of nutritional profile that you eat um, that protects you. So let's get into that for a little bit. Let's talk about the disease pathophysiology here for a second. 
So here it is. So first of all, the virus actually comes in and it attacks the ACE2 in, uh, receptor in the lungs. And that's how it gets into the cells. And that's how it starts infection and how everything happens. The ACE2 receptor, um, angiotensin converting enzyme, we lower blood pressure by blocking it with ACE inhibitors uh, like captopril or lisinopril. Um, and there are others in that class. Um, and so when you do that, you lower blood pressure. This disease, this virus is interesting because it attacks in those, in those receptors. And by attacking those receptors, it wreaks havoc for individuals with high blood pressure, heart disease, kidney disease, because it's, it's the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone uh, system in the body that regulates all of that. You know, so when, when there's an attack on that uh, system, People are going to die from diseases that may not even have anything to do with lung infection and pneumonia, like you'd assume the coronavirus is doing. And it is doing that as well. Um, so starting there, that tells you a lot. That means if your heart is in good condition, your lungs are in good condition, your kidneys are in good condition, um, that you can actually do well against this disease. So we know that 80 percent of the people, somewhere around 80 percent of people will only have mild symptoms, if any. 90% of the people, you know, to make to use a big round number, will even if they get this, are going to fully recover. So about 10% of people uh, are left, um, and maybe maybe you know, nine percent plus are going to have a hard time with it, but you know, may or may not recover. But there's a there's a, there's that one percent that's really going to have a hard time and probably die. So it, for the majority of people, if, you're, if your blood pressure is well controlled and, and if you are cardiovascularly fit, you're going to be able to manage and survive this disease a lot better. And that's why they say, well, this young, healthy person got this and died. But a lot of people walk around with high blood pressure and heart disease and kidney disease and don't even know it until you know, they get a collapse. And I believe this virus accelerates some of these things through its work through the ACE uh, receptor and because it is a very pro-inflammatory, hyper-inflammatory mechanism that it uses to really wreak havoc on the lungs especially so put you into a hyper inflammatory state all of what i just said is why the adventist health message is so important so if you're eating a whole lot of leafy green vegetables low salt diet low sugar diet low oil diet or no oil diet um you know you're going to be able to survive this better so let's get specific let's look at what um aspects of the health message are really important obviously water if you're very well hydrated you flush your kidneys um that's gonna keep your kidneys healthier keep you get your, your blood to your heart more easily um and it's a, a, you know also relieves relieve stress when you drink enough water so you know that's one thing that we talk about sunshine a report just came out from one of the uh scientific bodies i believe it was the cdc that si sunlight and humidity actually is destructive for this virus so if you are getting outside and, and getting some sunlight and so forth um, the sunlight is actually able to kill the virus. Um, and part of the reason the flu and the colds are more common in the winter is we get less sunlight. Um, but let's get to nutrition. How should we approach this from a nutritional standpoint? Well, we know button mushrooms, there's studies that show it actually increase um, immune, uh, antibodies um, in the mucous membranes that can help to fight um, uh, and grab uh, particles that come in so that you don't get as sick. Uh, we know that uh, dark berries, dark grapes like blackberries, blueberries, and really dark grapes have a compound in them called resveratrol. And that compound actually can shorten the length of a viral illness. Um, but there's other things. We know that somehow zinc is even related to this. Um, and so foods rich in zinc are one of the things that I'm going to flip I did have some notes from another talk I gave. Um, foods rich in zinc 
like legumes, so uh, lentil beans, hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, squash seeds, sesame seeds, pine nuts, cashews, almonds, and of course, whole grains. So eating whole grain foods, rich in zinc, and the zinc in their food is better than, to me, better than taking a supplement. The problem when we take these supplements, we pull out vitamin C, you pull out vitamin E, you pull out zinc, you don't get the gestalt or, or the entirety of the food. So you don't get all of the compounds in the food that are sit, working synergistically with the compound you want to make it work better. So you want food rich in zinc. And then, of course, there's this uh, quercetin is something that's been talked about. Um, and there are these ionophore channels that the zinc can get into the cell through. And quercetin helps with that. And so um, the reason Plaquenil actually might work well is that it might impact these ionophores and let more zinc into the cell. I don't think it does it very consistently or very well. And that's why I don't think they're going to get super good results. But it will, it will show some promise. But we know that foods that have uh, quercetin in it are onions, apples, grapes, berries, broccoli, citrus, cherries, all will help to make sure that um, you do that. Uh, some of the other foods that are really important, berries, uh, again, garlic, onion are, are, are amazing in terms of putting chemicals and compounds into the bloodstream, natural things that will actually help to fight all kinds of infection. Um, leafy green veggies, high phytonutrient uh, compounds, high in antioxidants all help to fight and to make you feel better. And also some seasonings like turmeric is one off the top of my head. I think that would be very good to have in your food as well. So if you really want to get sophisticated, there's some things you should not do. You should not smoke cigarettes, should not be smoking marijuana. Cigarettes, smoke is toxic, damages and, and inflames the lungs at a time when if corona, you get coronavirus, you get, a, you get into the third phase of that disease, it's a hyper-inflammatory stage. You're going to feel, you're going to get a lot more sick if you're smoking. One study showed it's like 14 times higher rate of severe illness or death if you're a cigarette smoker. So not smoking is important. And marijuana, same principle, you're going to smoke things in so it can, you know, irritate the lungs. Um, some argue, well, marijuana is, is not is, is anti-inflammatory, but it also, in its anti-inflammatory properties, probably reduces the immune response. And so I think you're going to see that when this all shakes up, marijuana is going to be a big risk. And it may be why you find people, certain groups of people in America who have worse um, cases of coronavirus. But we'll, we can wait and see on, on that one. The other two things I would definitely mention are sugar. Anytime you take in sugar, especially like a Snickers bar or something, your blood sugar shoots way up. And then when your blood sugar goes up, your white blood cells go to sleep. And when your white blood cells go to sleep, you can't fight infection very well. So sugar is bad. And that's why diabetics get such bad infections because their sugar's high all the time. Um, and then the other one, of course, is dairy. If you're talking about pro-inflammatory responses, you don't want to eat dairy or even meat or, or animal products in general. But dairy will make you make more mucus, which is one of the problems that comes from this virus. There's a hypersecretion of mucus in the hyperinflammatory phase that causes like honeycombing of the lungs and makes it hard to breathe and people wind up on ventilators. But if ventilators aren't a panacea, you know, one study I read is like 80% of people who go on ventilators uh, won't make it. Um, so, you know, just having the, you know, we've heard the politicians cry, we need more ventilators, but more ventilators uh, are good because, I mean, you, you can save the 20%, which we absolutely have to do. But more ventilators alone won't stop the deaths because it, it might curb the deaths, but it won't stop them because a lot of people, once they get that sick, even the ventilators can't um, bail them out. Um, and then, of course, making sure you get enough sleep. The immune system um, reloads when we sleep. So it's very important that people are getting um, good sleep as well. Um, and then, you know, uh, good, you know, one of the keys of the, of the Adventist Health message is trusting in God. 
Um, and that's why I do like Psalm 91, Psalm 23. Um, so I like what Jesus says in uh, Mark 6 and verse 50. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And so when we know what the prophecies are, we know what's coming upon the earth. We know to expect pestilence. These are just storm warnings that Jesus is about to return. We should be at peace as Christians, um, not panicking like the rest of the world, because we know that our redemption draweth nigh. What advice do you have for those with mental health issues right now? There's reports that mental health is a big issue with the shelter in place. How can people practically address that when they're, quote-unquote, trapped in their homes? This is one of the toughest parts of this whole thing. If someone has real mental health issues, depression, anxiety, or even you know more severe forms of mental illness, um, like advanced schizophrenia or something like that, to be locked up in the house and not go outside is actually pretty tough. So my advice is that you don't stay locked up in the house. Um, you Even if you just get outside and go in your backyard and walk around, if you will go walk up and down the street. If you live in a busy city or live in the middle of a city, put on the mask. Um, put on something to cover your eyes um, and go outside and go for a walk. Getting out in the sunlight and getting some exercise will help boost mental health. The other thing is to stay connected to people, whether it's by FaceTime or, or Zoom church services, stay connected to people so that you don't feel like you're isolated and locked away from the world. People are asking when things will return to a sense of normalcy or when things will return back to normal. Do you have a guesstimate of when things will have some sort of normal environment or normal status? I think over the next few weeks, you, you're going to see, and this is today's April 18th or 19th. Um, I think over the next few weeks, you're going to see everybody start to slowly roll things back. There's a morbidity and a mortality that's associated with, with, with having a horrible economy as well. I mean, people, you know, lose houses, lose jobs, not be able to afford food for their families. And the government can't make everybody whole, you know, even as fast as we print money, it's hard to do that. So at some point you do have to bring this thing back around, but you have to do it safely. So um, I talked earlier about masks and tests and social distancing. Those three things will probably need to be around for another four or six months, but it doesn't mean people can't go back to the stores. They can't go back to work, um, even go back to school. Um, depending on where you are and the um, incidence and prevalence of, of the coronavirus disease in those areas. Um, but I would say that it's going to take six months before we probably really feel like we, we are out of the woods completely. Um, and the problem with that is, of course, when the next flu season comes around, this may you know, jump up again. And then the other part of it is I watched a, uh, an interview from a gentleman who survived the the, the Spanish flu last century, which was from 1918 to 1919, and some argue killed 50 million people in the world. Uh, he said it took four years before people would go back to churches and go back into to theaters and stuff like that because they were just so traumatized by the number of deaths and how quickly people died. The Spanish flu was a lot deadlier in many ways than the coronaviruses. They didn't have 24-hour news feeds on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and BBC and Al Jazeera. So for those reasons alone, you know, we are going to be a lot more traumatized in some ways than they might have been. So it may take three, four years before people are fully comfortable going and sitting in a football stadium or a basketball stadium with tens of thousands of other people. Um, so, and even churches may feel this for a while as people are maybe afraid to go back into churches. So, um, that part of it is going to linger a little bit longer. And I'd say that's at least a year or two, maybe three or four, like, the, like, this, like that gentleman said it when, with the Spanish flu. Would you advocate vaccines? Eh, I'm a little leery of the vaccines because I, you know, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer or anything, but what worries me about the vaccines is that if we speed to get to it, um, you know, 
and you miss a step, you know, what I, would you want to be the first one to get the vaccine <laughs> or do you want to wait and see that it's okay for everybody else? Some people argue that uh, I would say in, in general, a vaccine is the solution. You get a vaccine and this whole thing goes away. We had a good vaccine right now. We'd all be, you know, the world would go back to, could go back to normal tomorrow, but we are rushing to get one. And that, that's, that just, that gives you a little bit of concern. So we'll have to wait and see what the safety, you know, indexes and models look like because there's more than one vaccine being produced. Uh, final question. How do we prepare for Jesus to come? Listen, this is a time for us to be in the word of God, to understand prophecy. This is a time for us to bolster our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Get to know him as our savior and our friend. Read in the scriptures all the time he delivered and came through for people who were demon possessed or his own disciples trapped on the boat or um, the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery. Read the stories in John and in Matthew of how a wonderful, loving, saved, much of a loving, wonderful savior he is. Contemplate the, the, the road to the cross and the sacrifice he made at Calvary and the power of his resurrection so that you become intimately connected with who Jesus is and what he expects for you. And you begin to become like Jesus. Jesus um, and have family worship and prayer. And, and as, the, as the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. When this is all over, make sure you're with the other believers and that you are working together to finish this work by spreading the gospel around the world um, and being actively participant in the work of spreading the gospel will be one of the things that will help to, to, to make us ready for the kingdom. The other thing is you have to remember to ask for forgiveness and accept God's forgiveness. One of the ways that the devil is going to win in the last days is there are going to be a lot of people who think that they sin so terribly that God can't forgive them. And I want to submit to all of you that that is not the God you serve. His mercy is new every morning and the blood of Jesus Christ still washes, it still cleanses. So uh, accept the blood of Jesus and uh, know that he still washes you and cleanses you. Dr. Walsh, I know your time is valuable and you have another podcast to go to right after mine. So thank you so much for fitting me in oh. your busy schedule. No problem. Thank you for having me. Good good talking to you, Pete. Miss you, man. Oh, I miss you too. And you're now on the East Coast now. <laughs> yeah, but I have to get back to Cali when this is all over. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> we'll, we'd love to have you back. Okay. Before we finish, can you have a word of prayer for us? Sure. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this ministry, this podcast. We thank you for all the lives that you'll touch through this, Lord. And we ask that you touch them. And Lord, we ask you to just forgive us of our sins. Lord, in this time of chaos and panic in the world, I am asking in a very special way, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to gird us up and that we would remember the words that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Help us to have a sound mind, Lord, as we face these challenges of the last days. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.